if God is all good and he knows all things that are happening and he is powerful to accomplish anything, then why does he let bad things happen to good people? Or why does he let bad things happen at all? That's kind of the question that we left off with last week, the so-called problem of evil from the end of Habakkuk chapter 1. Habakkuk lamented to God, You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? And what we said last week when we kind of left that cliffhanger was that that's a real question. It's a real question that we have to deal with. Whenever children die before their parents, whenever wicked men seem to get richer and richer off the backs of righteous poor men, when it seems sometimes that the most caring and loving people are the ones who get diagnosed with cancer or other terminal illnesses, when a tornado comes out of nowhere and destroys a town that is seemingly righteous. These are real hardships, real sufferings, real doubts that they cause in our mind. And so when Habakkuk experiences things like this, when he sees God not dealing treacherously with treacherous men and holding his tongue when treacherous men take over and kill righteous men, he is confused and he laments. And the Lord answers here in Habakkuk 2, really all, almost all of Habakkuk 2, is the Lord's answer to this question. And he gives kind of three answers, three different types of answers, and we'll go through them one by one. The first is patience. He says, when the Lord answered me, he said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. When we think about the timing of these things that happen, we often think in a limited time. We only think in the time span that we are able to think, whether that is in our lives or even just for a moment. Why does this death come now? Why am I this old and have this much money, but he's only that old and he has that much wealth? Why does that diagnosis come now? How much time do I have left? I can see the tornado coming on the radar and the warning is from this time to that time, so if I only can make it to that time, I'll be okay. 
we think in limited time. We think in hours, sometimes, maybe even minutes. But at the most, we only think in years, most of the time. And Habakkuk knew how it was, too. Whenever he is waiting for the vision of the Lord to come to him to answer his question, the Lord knows what that's like for him, and he tells Habakkuk, though it tarries, wait for it. Though it tarries, wait for it. The Lord knows that it seems like sometimes when we are waiting for things to be figured out by God or to be answered by God, whenever we have these problems of evil in our lives that we don't know how to answer and we're waiting for God to give us some sort of hope, some sort of conclusion, some sort of answer to our lament, it can seem like it goes on and on and on and on. It tarries. But the Lord tells Habakkuk, wait for it. And when you think about that, you can think about the difference between how we experience time and suffering and how God thinks about time. Because God is completely outside of time. Moses and Peter both put it this way. Moses in Psalm 90, Peter in his epistle With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. What may seem like decades to you when it's really only hours, for the Lord, it's nothing. He's outside of it. His scope, his time span that he's working with to figure everything in the universe out including in your life, it's so much bigger than you could imagine. It's more than you have to work with. And so we can also think about what Isaiah says. When he prophesies from the Lord, the Lord says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And we could add to that and say, and his timing is higher than your timing. You see, in God's perspective, he's not tarrying at all. It's a little bit confusing because in one verse, in the same verse actually, in one line, the Lord says it from Habakkuk's perspective, Though it tarries, wait for it. And then two lines later, he says it from his perspective, it will not tarry. The Lord's answer to the problems that you face, all the problems of evil, they are coming in his time. A time that does not tarry. He says it will surely come. It will not tarry. Because he already has a plan. A plan that you may not be able to see the end of, but that he already knows about. We summarized Habakkuk with the verse from Romans 8 last week. God is working together 
for the good of those who love him, all things. You see, that's the thing. The scope of what God is doing when he's working out all things together for good is eternal. A far longer span of time than the 70 or 80 years of someone's life. A far longer span of time than the collection of wealth that will eventually be destroyed by moth or by rust. A far longer span of time than any one person's prognosis. A far longer span of time than the Weather Channel can predict the radar. When he comes again in glory, whenever that may be, 10 days from now, 10 years from now, 10,000 years from now, all things will be made right. And he is now actively in the world unfolding his book of history the way that he wants to. Even down to the little details in your life. Those little details, they may seem really big to you. The prognosis, the money in the bank account, the years left in your time here. All those things may seem big to you, but they're little details to him. But the good thing about God is he even works out in history the little details. Because they're little, they're very easy for him to take care of. And so this is the first thing that God reminds Habakkuk of is just wait for my timing. Wait and see how I unfold the rest of history. Wait and see. Maybe it's not going to be in the next few hours. Maybe it's not going to be in the next few days. Maybe it won't even be in your life. And then we can look back at Habakkuk's life and see how God used the Babylonian captivity for the good of the Israelite people over the course of centuries. So wait and see. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. And that brings us to the second part of God's answer to Habakkuk, and that's faith. Now, as Lutherans, we often talk about this word faith in a very particular way. We often think about the faith that is part of our justification, that we are saved through faith, that when we trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, that is our salvation. And in fact, that's how Paul quotes this verse, the righteous shall live by his faith. Paul quotes that verse. It's actually, I think, one of the most quoted verses in the New Testament from Habakkuk chapter 2, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul quotes that verse about justification. And that is part of faith. That's a very important aspect of faith. But I do think it is very interesting that when Habakkuk says the righteous shall live by faith, when the Lord says that to Habakkuk, rather, that he is talking in that context, in our context tonight, 
not about justification, not about how Habakkuk will be saved for the forgiveness of his sins on account of the blood of Christ, but talking about how Habakkuk is going to endure suffering. First, he needs to be patient and wait for the Lord's timing. Second, he needs to live by faith. He needs to be able to trust that God is, in fact, through that timing, working out all things together for good. Trust that not only does the Lord rescue us from certain damnation, but also trust that when the child dies before the parent, or when the bank account is bare, or when the diagnosis from the doctor comes, or when the tornado touches down, that God wills it. And that is a trust, that is a kind of faith that says to God, not my will, but yours be done. And that is the faith that we must live by. And if you think about it, it can't really be separated from the faith that we have for the forgiveness of sins. They go hand in hand. So first, patience, and then faith. These two things go together. And the rest of Habakkuk 2, actually really the majority of the chapter, God, I think, surprises Habakkuk. At least it's kind of a surprise to me when I read it. Because the third part of the answer that God gives to the problem of evil is Maybe what we were looking for or what Habakkuk was looking for somewhere closer to the middle of chapter one. When Habakkuk had complained, if you remember, about all the injustices in the land that we had talked about last week. And what the Lord does here is he starts to make a list of what in the Bible are called woes. Woes in which he prophesies the destruction of a people who are wicked. That's what Habakkuk had wanted to hear earlier on, but he wasn't ready for it. First, he needed to be reminded, like we talked about last week, of his own sin and who his creator was. And then, as we just talked about, he needed to be reminded to be patient in waiting for the Lord and to have faith in what the Lord was doing. But now, he gets to hear of vindication. You see, just because the Lord is using Babylon, this wicked nation, to punish Israel and Judah... And Habakkuk is suffering through that. The Lord also does not excuse the evil of Babylon. Only the Lord is so powerful that he can use what man means for evil for the good of all. And so the Lord tells Habakkuk now, which this is important for Habakkuk to hear, and it's important for us to hear as well, 
that the evil which you experience here on this earth and the suffering which you experience here on this earth and the suffering and the wickedness that Habakkuk saw in his day, the Lord would deal with it. He would not excuse this kind of evil. And he gives lots of glorious images here about what the Lord's going to do on the day when Babylon receives their own. To paraphrase him, he says things like, Woe to the man who builds a city of man out of evil covetousness and out of bloodshed. Woe to that nation which makes its neighbor drink of wrath, for the Lord will make you drink of his wrath on the day when he comes. Woe to those who worship wooden idols overlain with gold and silver and talk to them and say, Oh, why don't you rise up and speak to me and teach me because there is no breath in them. Only the Lord has the spirit. Only the Lord has the breath. And this is the way Habakkuk ends chapter two. He says to Habakkuk, don't worry. Those idols, they're dead. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let man keep silence before him. Ecclesiastes tells us there is a time to speak and a time to be silent. Habakkuk has had his time to speak. And we should too. We should lament when we suffer. And we should lament when we experience injustices, and we should lament when the problem of evil lays heavy on our souls. But there is also a time to be silent before the Lord. There is also a time to, out of the fear of the Lord, recognize him as the God who will vindicate us on the last day. Because justice is not up to us, It's up to him. And that's a good thing. And so in holy reverence and in joy, we can bow our heads, we can fold our hands, and we can praise God for vindicating and saving his faithful people. To him be all the honor and glory now and forever. Amen.